Hello, and welcome to the 40 Drinks Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McLaughlin. Sometime in the years around our 40th birthday, many of us start to feel what I call the ick, like some part of our life no longer fits and you don't know what to do about it. I know that was true for me, and I fought against it, which only made it a messier process. But having 40 drinks with 40 people over the course of a year helped me escape the influence of that ick. On this podcast, I welcome you to tap into my stories and experience, as well as those of my guests, to help you emerge from your own ick and maybe even avoid some of the mistakes we made along the way. My mission is to make it common cultural knowledge that there is a transition most of us face around age 40, and then showcase so many versions of that transition that every single person approaching or recently turned 40 with dread in their heart knows that they are not alone. Today, my guest is Joanne Fawcett, who was heavily influenced as a child by the image of the happy family from the TV show Leave it to Beaver, which left her with some perhaps unreachable impressions of what a marriage should look like, but her upbringing left her without the tools to build a successful one. Hi, Joanne. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I am so pleased to have you. We spoke a couple of months ago and talked a little bit about your story. Here's how I want to jump in or sort of find my my pathway into your story. You told me that you grew up in the 1950s with that sort of leave it to beaver kind of influence. Exactly. And that show made such a deep impact on society, even all these years later. And so what I'm really curious to start with was... What was it that you kind of interpreted or internalized from that show that informed the beginning part of your life path? For me, it was just the the image of the happy family. You know, mom is a stay-at-home mom. Dad goes off to work. Kids are happy. They have their sibling rivalries or whatever and, you know, tension. But it always ends up when there's a happy ending and everybody loves each other and everything's cool. Always. (laughs) Always. <laughs> and wouldn't it be great if that were actually the truth? Yeah, it sure would. And we know it's not. <laughs> and the funny thing is, as I was as I was thinking about this conversation, I did a couple of quick Google searches about Leave it to Beaver and kind of its impact on society. And the interesting thing was that there was so much non-ideal behavior in the shows. It was kind of of a morality play. And so sure there was, you know, the cleavers, the center of the, of the story, but almost everyone else in the story was that non-ideal. So it's just so funny that, you know, the ideal is what we all remember of it. Even your parents didn't meet that. Is that correct? That is correct. I did have a stay-at-home mom for most of the time, and my dad almost always had a job. There was one period where he was laid off, but he almost always had a job. And we had fun family times, and we had some fun family vacations, but there was a lot of arguing. And there was a time when they were separated, and my dad was an alcoholic, so... I could see that, you know, boil over onto the rest of us and my mom. It's like I learned how to be a codependent from my mom dealing with my dad. Explain to me in your interpretation what it means to be codependent to an alcoholic. It could be an alcoholic. 
It could be a drug addict. You know, yeah. any anybody who needs the, the caregiving and the hand-holding and you don't want to rock the boat because they'll get upset. You're being the people pleaser. And I was a middle child. I was the third of four children. So it's like I was the, the really good student. Not that my siblings weren't, but, you know, mm -hmm. I was a really good student and I was always people pleasing and I was always trying to serve others and that kind of thing. When you go over into the side where you forget who you are, yeah. That, that's too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So mom was busy peacekeeping and not rocking the boat. And uh, you were consumed with people pleasing and getting everything right. How did that set you up for your early adulthood and bring us to, you know, your late twenties through to your thirties? Add in the component that I joined the Mormon church when I was a kid and so again, here's the image of happy family, white picket fence, everybody's cool. You know, you, you get married, you have babies and every, everybody lives happily ever after, except that doesn't always happen either. So I figured mm -hmm. if I met a good Mormon and got married and started having babies, everything would be great. I just didn't pick the right good Mormons. And I also assumed that because we were both members of the church, that we would be on the same page about all the important married things. Right. You know, how we were going to raise our kids. How do we do church? But in the Mormon church, you have to get married. You don't just live with each other. So it's like I had this image from the 50s and then being a Mormon. It's like, okay, everything's going to be cool. I didn't talk about all the important stuff with any of those husbands. We just got married. And yes, there were more than one. I just kept not getting it right. So that gets me into my messy 40s. I think your assumption makes sense that you would necessarily be either on the same page or at least close to the same pages on a lot of the really, uh, you know, core values kind of things because you both belonged to the same church and you both believed right. in the same things and you both learned the things that the churches teach. So to me, that doesn't seem wildly, you know, outrageous of you to to guess that yeah the people i married i'm not saying they're all like this because i know some wonderful mormons that are happily married mm -hmm. and have been forever mm -hmm. you also need to look beyond the person that you see at church because they might have one persona at church and one persona at home sure. and again their core values on the non-church things might be different than yours there you yeah. go. Okay. So we weren't on the same page at all when it came to the non-church stuff. Okay. How old yeah. were you when you got married the very first time? I think I was 20, but I might've just turned 21. It was not young for being a Mormon, getting mm -hmm. married that young, because that's kind of normal. I mean, I would have done it differently, obviously, if I'd known differently. <laughs> sure. Sure. So. And then we know that that marriage didn't work and your second husband was not a Mormon, right? Correct. That's who Correct. you had your daughter with. I did. And unfortunately, he had substance abuse problems and eventually kicked me out when I was pregnant. And then eventually I committed suicide. Oh, God, how terrible. Yeah. yeah, it was. And so here you are with a newborn out on your own. And then what happens? Thankfully, I was able to live with my parents. They were always kind of my uh, fallback plan. And he, he saw her twice. And then when she was a toddler, I met somebody else that was a member of the church and we got married and, and he turned out to be very abusive. 
but we were together like physically three years that took another couple of years to get a divorce. Before he got physically abusive with us, there was a time we lived in a mobile home, a single wide mobile home in a terrible neighborhood. And he got angry about something. He'd come home from work. He got angry about something and proceeded to walk around the mobile home and break every single window. And it's like, excuse me, what's going on here? I was used to the yelling because we, we did fight a lot, but this is a new level. I went to the bishop of the church and said, hey, you know, what do I do? And I'm sure he didn't even talk to him, but I can't even remember. That was so long ago, but I don't think he brought him in for a talk. We didn't have a a three-way, you know, husband, wife, let's sit down with the bishop talk. And he just said, has he hurt you yet? No. Do you think he will? I go, well, I don't think so. But then we moved to Ohio and things escalated again. And then he did start getting physically abusive with both of us and mm. more so with my daughter than with me. Oh, that's terrible. I could defend myself. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh God. And she was just a little one at that point, right? She was like two, three. Oh. Yeah. She was, she was a toddler. It was terrible. Oh, yeah. that's heartbreaking. I'm so sorry for both of yeah. you. Thank you. It's taken us okay. a long time to get over that. Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah. I'll bet. And you're still at this point, just in your mid twenties. Yep. You're still <laughs> kind of a baby yourself. Yep. I, I think I was like 23 when I had her. So I was still, yeah, in my twenties. Wow. And a, a funny note, I don't even remember if I told you this, was like when I went to my 20th high school reunion, I'd already been married five times. So I got the award for being married the most by our 20th. So by then you're not even 40. Right, right. Yeah, yeah you're yeah, you're 38. You're like 38, yeah. And I won the prize. And it was a magnum of champagne and I didn't even drink then. <laughs> yeah, I gave it to a friend. Oh, God. So, you know, I like to use the framework that I, I found in this book called Passages by Gail Sheehy. And it's the concept of first adulthood and second adulthood. Right. And in first adulthood, you're doing everything you should do, everything, all of these external authorities that we look to and trust are telling us that we need to do. We know by and large these, these external authorities, whether they be parents or mentors or teachers or our churches, right? They want the right. best for us. And they're telling us the things that, that we quote unquote should do in order to be happy, healthy, successful, safe all of those things. Do you feel like, you know, from 20 to 40 or, or from your high school graduation to your 20th reunion, do you feel like you were doing a lot of should? I was working as well. Cause I, you know, I had a job, I had a profession mm -hmm. and, and I was raising my daughter most of the time as a single mom, even when I was married, I felt like a single mom mm -hmm. and she didn't like any of the stepdads for good reason. But um, I was still driven by the fact that I want my daughter to have a dad and I want to be the happy little family. I want to be loved and I want this wholesome family. And I would have wanted that probably even if I hadn't been a member of the church. But, you know, I saw my sister was happily married and she's still, they've been married over 50 years. So they've always, you know, I'm sure it hasn't always been a bed of roses, but, you know, and then as, as my parents got older, they, they did have more peace, but um, it's just interesting. And one thing I, I love that my daughter who is doing with her daughters is like, she's already telling them now and they're, you know, one's 15, one's 18, but she started a while ago, telling them, it's like, okay, don't do what I did. 
you know, get educated first, do these things so that you don't regret it and decide you need to go back and relive the twenties that you never had, you know, do all the things, you know, do your education, right. do your fun stuff. And, you know, yeah, not that you have to be wild and crazy. Not that you have Just, to live your twenties like I did. <laughs> <laughs> Nor like me. <laughs> There's two ends of the spectrum right there. <laughs> yeah. Were you a wild girl? <laughs> oh, oh, Joanne. Yes, I was a wild girl. I was a party girl. I was a big drinker for like 20 years. A uh -huh. big, big drinker. So I grew up in the 70s and the 80s. You know, very picture perfect kind of nuclear family. You know, two parents, three kids. At some points we had a dog. Um and I was, I was a high achiever in school. I always felt like school was a game I knew how to play. I used to uh -huh. say that to a friend in high school. It was like, I just know this game. It's, it's, it's not that hard for me. One of the things I learned during the 40 Drinks Project was that I was pretty bold even from a very young age. And I remember mm -hmm. one of my grammar school friends told me a story about something I did and I, and I went and told my mother and said, can you believe that? And, and she said to me, she laughed. She said, well, why do you think we kept you on such a short leash? <laughs> and, and it, it's really true. I was, I was really kept on a short leash um, all the way through high school. And even when I was home through college uh, and, and even in my twenties, you know, it was, um, you know, my, my parents gave me a freaking curfew when I was in college, <laughs> when I was home on the weekends. And I was like, are you kidding? But they did. And I was a good girl. So I followed it, you know, right. mostly. I think when I was out there on my own, I was doing a lot of really letting loose. And yet at the same time, I graduated magna cum laude. It, one was not at the expense of the other. Okay. Although in my late 40s and now my early 50s, they both may have been at the expense of my long-term health. <laughs> I hung out with people who were in a very social group. I'm an extrovert, so I loved being out and doing things and with people. And I lived in Boston for maybe a decade and a half from like my mid-20s through to my almost 40. There were there were crowds of people that that I that would sort of age out of me oh. because they were growing up, you know, right. getting married, having kids, and I was still doing the same thing that I had been doing then. So several, you know, groups and rounds of people and age groups of people would grow out of me. Interesting. Um, yeah. Do I regret it? No, I don't. I had a great time. I did great things. I have amazing experience. Cool. Could I have made some other choices? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I used to say I, I did one thing and I did it well, and that was drinking. <laughs> I didn't dabble in, in other, uh, substances, but, right. uh, but, oh, give me a couple of martinis, man. Enough about me. Let's, yeah. <laughs> let's go back to you. Let's start at your high school reunion. You had been already married five times and you're staring right. down the barrel at 40. What do your late 30s look like? I probably was just working and I was still an active Mormon then. So just working and doing church and raising my kid because at the that high school reunion, I was not married. My daughter was going to be a junior in high school, and she got accepted to be a foreign exchange student to Japan for a year from like middle of junior year to middle of senior year. So that was very exciting. And then I, I met another church guy. If I ever tell you I'm going to a, a church singles dance ever again, shoot me, because that's where <laughs> I met all these losers. Tie you down. 
<laughs> exactly. Um, but I do love dancing. But um, so, you know, she was getting ready and I was dating this guy. And here's, you know, here's one of my things. It's like the next time I got married, I know now it was because she was going to be gone for a year and I didn't want to be alone. We courted a while. I think we got married before she left for Japan. I would not advise marrying somebody or living with somebody just because you don't want to be alone. Right. You know, right. That, yeah. That's not, that's not a good idea. <laughs> Did you know you didn't want to be alone? At I the time? It didn't, it, I was not thinking of it in those terms. I said, Oh, I've met this great guy and Oh, he's cool. And you know, we're in love and we're both churchy and la la la. And we like to go to dances and stuff. But you know, obviously after we got married, that stopped. You don't go yeah. to the singles dances and they don't really have too many dances for married people in the church. So you know, so we just started doing our lives. We each had jobs and, you know, um, he had a son that lived with us that I didn't really get along with, but, you know, so it was just, yeah, I, I didn't even think about, oh, I'm going to be alone. I better get married. I, I okay. hadn't even thought of that. It just, he showed up right about the time and that just seemed like a, a good idea. But, you know, had I realized that's what I was thinking and doing, I would have right. done that. Right. Okay. So it was, it was completely unaware to you. Yeah. So tell me about your 40th birthday. Oh, gosh. Okay. So that that husband, um, he'd say, well, where do you want to go for your birthday? And I can't even remember the restaurant. You know, let's just say I said Red Lobster. Mm -hmm. We'll just say that because that's one of my favorite places. And, you know, he, he took that in and I come home from work and, okay, let's go to dinner. And then we show up at like Chevy's which is, I like Chevy's, you know, when they used to have Chevy's, it's a Mexican restaurant and you get a big sombrero, you know, if you're willing to put it on for your birthday, it's like, well, this is fun, but this is not what I asked for. Well, this right. is where we wanted to go. It's like, excuse me, whose birthday is it? Whose big birthday is it? I ate my dinner and I didn't stand there and have a tantrum in the restaurant because that's just not what I do. And we went home, but I, I let him know I wasn't happy about it. I'm sure I let him know how unhappy I was that he preempted my request. But I had some wonderful girlfriends and three of them took me out on three different times after that one birthday dinner. And we went to three of my favorite restaurants. So mm -hmm. I celebrated my 40th birthday three times, <laughs> well, four times, but right. three, at three places that I really wanted to go. So, right. you know, my, my girlfriends took better care of me than the husband, you know, mm -hmm. as far as helping me celebrate. And you know, that sucks. Yeah, that, that really does sucks. suck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was that a commonality for him in the marriage that he would not listen to you and just do what he wanted to do? I'm seeing definitely now. Yes. My daughter came back from Japan and things started kind of unraveling mm -hmm. and we separated for a while. Then we got back together and I started going to therapy and I remember coming home one day or, you know, we were both home from work and I said, well, I'm, I'm going to therapy. I think we have some things we should talk about. No, it's all your problem. You, I'm not going. It's like, okay. So that, that was basically it. And I said, well, okay, then that that's it. You know, if you can't help me work on this, then obviously we're done. What kinds of things were you working through in therapy that you were learning about yourself about making these choices? That's a good question. I don't think I included that in my book. Part of it had to do with person, you know, uh, my, my own like self-esteem certainly, mm -hmm. and maybe communication issues. And then maybe my thought patterns or my belief systems, especially growing up in the church about sexuality and whatever, and what's allowed and what's not. And da, 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 da. Right. what I thought was bad, it was not a bad thing. 
and my, my therapist helped me look at things differently, but some of it might've been my codependency. Mm-hmm. I, after I'd left him, I started taking some more college classes because I, I worked on my accounting degree for years. I remember taking a psychology class and it was fabulous. And I got A's on all my papers because I had personal experiences to go along with every topic that we had to write about. So it's like, (laughs) okay, well, this is easy to write about. I just talked about this in therapy type of thing. So a lot of personal work and things like that. So, Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that was that the first time in your life you had really started to look inward and ask those kinds of questions? Yeah, I think so. You know, you're you're busy thinking about other things, but I, I hadn't thought, I was like, I should work on myself, you know. Well, and I think that's absolutely 100% indicative of this transformation, this transition that mm-hmm. we go through, right? Because we talked about first adulthood being this reliance on the external authorities and all the things they tell you you should. And the right. transition really happens when we realize that hey, wait, I've got a whole bunch of experience now and I can make my decisions based on my own experience and what I know works for me and the things that I know about myself. Frankly, in the last two years of doing this podcast, every time I have one of these conversations, I take the conversation back and I like go digging around in my own self for, for some of these things. That transition happens when we start then making decisions based on our own authority and our own experience. You're doing some of that personal growth work and some of that introspection work is is actually 100% right on time. I really went back to working on that stuff again in my 60s because then mm-hmm. I you know, forgot it all for the, the next 20 years with the, the next guy. Okay. All right. Hi, we'll get back to the conversation in just a minute. I wanted to mention that I was recently a guest on Jennifer Arthurton's podcast, Old Chicks No Shit. What a great title that is, and what a great podcast. The episode was released on January 4th, and it's called How 40 Drinks Changed Her Life. I had a blast talking with Jennifer, and if you want to hear me go a little bit deeper into the original 40 Drinks project than I typically do here on this podcast, you should check out the episode. I'm going to post a link to the to the episode in today's show notes. Also, I was talking to a friend recently who was going through some stuff, and I recommended a previous episode of the podcast that was relevant to her situation, and she loved it. Which got me thinking, if you've got an issue you're facing, something you're going through, someplace you're stuck, drop me a line, and maybe I can recommend one or two episodes that might be relevant for what you're experiencing. Think of it as your personal podcast prescription. I'd love to make one for you. DM me on social or email me at stephanie at 40drinks.com. And don't forget to spell out the word 40. All right, back to the show. So let's talk about your early 40s. You're single for a couple of years at this point. I think it took us a couple of years probably even to decide... It's not like we were trying to get back together, but we hadn't really navigated and said the divorce word. So it it didn't like, I didn't move out and then file for divorce. It took us a while, you know, just because we were just letting things, the dust settle. But eventually my roommate is somebody I knew from one of my jobs Mm -hmm. and her husband was in prison and I'd been there to visit him a couple of times with her. And I'd been to visit this other nice, cute young man. I would go visit him regularly. So visiting the prison did not scare me. Mm -hmm. Then she came home one day and said, Oh, there's this really nice guy. He's your age. He's smart. I thought, Oh, smart would be 
a new kind of boyfriend. And at the time, I was just starting to date somebody probably, you know, my age-ish, and he had a job, and he was not in prison. And, you know, we, we met at a church dance, but he was not a member of the church. So we were starting to do dancing, you know, other places and stuff. So it's like that kind of, that relationship was starting to be a lot of fun. And then I met this other guy in prison and decided, oh, I want to, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm choosing him over the free guy. Okay. No, they're wrong. Bad, bad choice for me. Not because I, I think, you know, marriage or partnership with somebody in prison is, is totally the worst thing you could ever do. And for a long time for me, it worked. But anyway, so I met this guy who's really smart. We wrote for two months, then we met in person and we courted for five years and we got married and we were married for just over 20 years. So it's a really long time. (laughs) Do you think you could put into words why you chose the man who was imprisoned over the man who was not? Well, he was really smart and I really loved the intellectual side of him. He was Mm -hmm. highly educated. He grew up in a military family. He had all these fascinating experiences as a kid growing up in this military family, getting stationed all these places. He just had all these great stories and he was interested in so many things. And we started talking about, you know, I left, I didn't leave the Mormon church because of him, but I left because we started talking about things that opened up my eyes to many different things. And it just became more interesting to go visit him than it was to go to church for half a day on Sunday. Mm. And because if you're a Mormon, it's a whole way of life and it consumes a lot of time. Sure. And I was just more, you know, thrilled with this guy. And he seemed to really like me. We just seemed to have all, I don't know if we had all these things in common, but we had plenty of things in common. And we just enjoyed chatting and telling stories to each other. I had had told the other guys like, I'm sorry. Gotta got go. <laughs> wow. What kinds yeah. of things were you talking about with this guy that when you said they opened your, your eyes to other things, uh, what, what kinds of things were those? Well, eventually, you know, I learned about witchcraft and I learned about fairies and I learned about UFOs and aliens and because he grew up with fairies his whole life and he knew a lot of witches and his dad and he were both involved with the military side of UFOs and aliens in their military careers. So it's like, huh, this is pretty cool. You know, <laughs> I grew up watching Martian movies and then thought, eh, okay, well, that's a fun movie. Yeah. But I, I, I learned more and more. And so I, and I learned about the world and I learned way more about other cultures because he'd been so many places. And it was just fascinating to me to learn about all these other countries and all these other people and, you know, and, and he was very charming, just charming, charming, charming. And I was just like, Oh, okay, this guy's really cool. And he, you know, he supposedly has money and, you know, his family has a nice house over there. Ooh, I was just enamored with this guy and put him on this very high pedestal. Also not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) They fall off. (laughs) Well, they do. But I also wonder if he got to stay on the pedestal longer because of your forced separation. I mean, you guys weren't living together. You guys weren't, you know, you weren't, you know, day in, day out, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm I'm sure now that, that would, we wouldn't have lasted very long because as I learned over time and I, I mean, he was an only child, so Mm -hmm. I knew he was a spoiled brat. 
Mm-hmm. And he, he would freely admit that. And over time, you just learn that if you just went along with his agenda and his cool ideas, because he made everything sound so cool mm-hmm. and he made everything sound like his idea was the best idea and his agenda was the best idea. So I didn't know that I was like, okay, now I'm falling right back into the people pleasing. And, you know, my whole life is revolved around working, visiting him, occasionally seeing my family and hoping the holidays work out so that I'll see him some of the time and still see them and everybody's happy. You know, everybody gets a part of me on Christmas or Thanksgiving. Hindsight obviously is if we had lived together from early on, we we would have never made it because you know, <laughs> yeah, we would have never made it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the, a lot of the, the stuff that you know makes a life with someone, and that the things that drive you nuts about the person you live with. You know, that's the, the kind of stuff that you know can make or break. I mean, they're little things, but they they truly can add up and make or break a, a relationship. We both grew up in the fifties. His mm-hmm. dad was very much. It's like I make the money. Here, here, wife, is your household allowance to buy the groceries and do whatever it is you need to do. And, you know, I came into the picture. He had been dead six months. She had no, I mean, she now knew she had some money, but she didn't know how much of it he'd like moved over here so that she would never touch it, you know, <laughs> um, because she just, she knew how to spend. She certainly didn't know how to save. Mm. And she was used to a very nice lifestyle and getting what she wanted. So bless her heart. Um, but she didn't know how to manage the money. <laughs> so it's like I quickly immersed myself in helping her. And by the time I met her, she was starting to have dementia. So it's like, let's okay. sit down and, you know, let me help you pay your bills. And that guy's a, a scam artist that's just sold you that trust. You know, so let, I was helping her negotiate some difficult financial things. When I would talk to my ex, I go, okay, well, when you get out of prison, how are we going to do the money? Because he was the same way. When he was married before me, you know, he, she had she had a job, but I, she didn't make much money. So like he made all this money with the military. And I think he had a, her gave her an allowance or not, or he just paid all the bills. I'm a bookkeeper and I need to know about the money. And my mom was never really allowed to know about the money. And I would just get the, Oh, sure. We will. Sure. We'll, we'll talk about, it's like, I I knew he would never tell me the whole picture about his money. Even he never did while we were together and he wouldn't have when he, if he'd been free. So it's like, okay, that, you know, it's like, uh, okay, well, we're going to have to talk about that more because I need to be kind of a hands-on kind of wife when it comes to the money. Wow. <laughs> wow. You know, I'm, I'm not stupid and I, I can handle working on our fan lines together. Well, and P.S., you know, living as you were, you were in charge of the finances. So, well, I was, you know, I was making all the money. If he had money, I never saw it. Years down the line, he sent me 500 bucks to help with a roof repair. And it's like, I, I paid lots of money through the years to take care of his house. And was there, when you got married to him, was there any sign? I mean, how, when was he going to get out? He has a life without parole sentence. Oh. So technically he may never get out, but there's, you know, he, when I met him, he was working with a lawyer who actually ended up frauding him. So, okay. That took away that legal. So he's, he's been, you know, trying different legal things And I know he currently has lawyers that try to research different ways that might help life, you know, people with life without. And if 
California gets its act together, they might have to release some of those life withouts that have been down so long, you know, that they should have been out by now. Long the laws were when he was convicted that if you do 15 years of good time, we'll change your sentence to like 25 to life, and then you can start having parole hearings. So he should have, you know, he should have been eligible for parole a long time ago. Okay. But when you got married, it was not like, okay, five years and then, and you'll be out. It was, you, you well, knew that's it the was. Thing. Well, no, I didn't because he said, oh, I've got this lawyer working on this. And he truly thought he yeah. truly, he didn't, he didn't know at the time that that lawyer was going to fraud him. He truly thought, oh, I should just be, you know, a couple more years and I'll be home. Like I can do two years. Yeah. <laughs> two yeah. years turned into 25. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So what was your life like while you were married to this man for 20 years? I'm a bookkeeper. So mm -hmm. for a long time, I was, I was somebody's employee and then I've been self-employed for a long time, so, but I was always working. Mm -hmm. I haven't been a stay at home mom, except the first five years of my daughter's life, mm -hmm. you know, and she's in her mid forties. So I work all the time, especially now that I'm self-employed, but I work all the time. Eventually I was part of a networking group. So, you know, I had a group of people that I could see once a week, but I was usually just seeing my clients. And I would talk to my daughter on the phone and my daughter lived, you know, we both lived in California for a while until she was going to have kid number two. She moved to the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. And so I would go see her a few times a year. My sister only lived like three hours away up in the California foothill, low mountains. And I would go see her, you know, several, a few times a year, especially for the holidays. Mm -hmm. And depending on where the ex was, again, especially like where he is now. And he's been there for over 10 years. Okay. I could go see him like Thanksgiving and then drive quickly to where the family was going to have dinner and mm -hmm. spend a few days. And I could do that with Christmas. You know, I could go see him and then go see them for a few days. And I would usually go see my daughter before Christmas. And I, I think I was only with her family once or twice actually on Christmas day, because I didn't want to leave him alone on Christmas day. Cause that's not what a good wife does. <laughs> you don't leave your husband alone. So it, it was kind of this, this dance of working and having very little social life. I had a couple of friends that every now and then I would go out with to a dinner or a movie or, or whatever. It, it was mostly working and trying to keep up with the house, which is big and needy. And, mm -hmm. um, and then seeing him, he didn't call me very much because he saved that for his kids. I would see him once a week and it was for several hours and sometimes most of the day. When you were married to your previous husband, you had started in with some therapy. Did you ever continue that in any way throughout the next 20 years? Did you ever explore any personal growth? It wasn't until I moved away from the family home, kind of in the beginning of COVID, that I started seeing a therapist. And I still see her, you know, I don't have to see mm -hmm. her as often because the huge drama is over. But I mean, I would, I would, you know, go to my acupuncturist person and, you know, we'd talk a lot because obviously whatever was going on with me affected right. what my body was doing and was clearly evident in my body because there were certain signs that, okay, things are really unhappy with your body because you're really stressed out. And on the outside, I didn't seem stressed because I hold it all together. And on the inside, I was a mess. In what ways? I was just stressed. You know, it's like, oh, here's another big repair I have to hurry and pay for. And I need to have the money. And oh, I was saving that. I don't even remember why, but it's like, oh, now it gets to go into that sewer repair or that roof repair. And I didn't even start saving for retirement until I turned 60. 
Another thing I advise any of you 40-somethings, start now. Right. (laughs) I was getting stressed about growing older and him never coming home. It just all kind of got to me because I was living on my own and the house is old and creaky and needing more and more and more. What's interesting, before we pressed record and we started talking, you know, a lot of times these conversations, the arc that I like to create is sort of the before, you know, what, what brought you to your transition and then the middle, what's the messy middle? And then what does the after look like? And some people have really clean and clear messies and after. Your messy part lasted the better part of 20 years. It did. And and again, yeah. for the longest time, I didn't know it was that messy. Right. <laughs> It was that fall of 2019 before we all really even knew what was going to happen. After I went and spoke at a UFO conference, I came back and just started thinking about things. And it's like, okay, we really need to start having a plan, you know, because again, he'd always told me he had money. So it's like, how are we going to, you know, how can we access some of that? How can we leverage some of that? What can we do so that I don't have to work and drop dead at 90 because I'm still at my computer doing that person's books? Yeah. Because I refused to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but I knew I couldn't live alone on Social Security. So what was his side of that it, conversation like? You know, at, at the beginning, it was just like, okay, you know, I get it. And and then we kind of dropped it for a while because I, I knew you don't poke the bear. Yeah. And I, I just kept going on with life. And then I, I took a psychic development class. Mm-hmm. That's part of my woo. And the last exercise was, let's do a ritual on cutting an energetic cord with something that no longer serves you. My goal was, I just want to cut the cord with the relationship as it is, which still, to me, did not mean divorce. And like a week later, COVID was shutting everything down. It just kind of went downhill from there, even though it was a roller coaster for the next three years. And the divorce is final, but we're still not done because he still owes me money. And, you know... What are we going to, we still haven't resolved what to do with his house because he just refuses to sell it, even though it needs to be sold. And there's you know, still drama going on. So I'm mm. still in therapy, but you know, I'm working on the book and I've pulled myself out of it because I needed to take care of myself. Yeah. And even if you stay in a relationship or don't, you got to take care of yourself or you're not going to be any good for that other person. Right. You know, or if you're single, you're not going to attract the right people. Obviously, I didn't do this soon enough, but you're not going to attract the right people unless you're really taking good care of yourself and you really know what you want. He didn't like anything I wanted. He wasn't going to provide any of that. And it's like, I I have to take care of myself. Give me an example of something you stood up and said you wanted. Why did you marry me? Why do you love me? It's like, because you don't tell me any. You sometimes spouses or partners will say, I love you because of this, this, and this. Like, mm-hmm. I never got any of that. I would get, you look nice today, or thanks for coming. He would always thank me for visiting. He would always put me off. He would never give me an answer when I would ask him that in person. He goes, well, what man has to say that? If I'm with you, then I love you. I shouldn't have to spell it out. Well, why not? Why can't you articulate? You know, give me one thing. Is it my hair? You like my smile? I know you like hugging me. He just couldn't and wouldn't elaborate because a a good wife should know that I'm with her because I like her. I need articulation. I started, you know, I like started pushing about the money. It's like, I need to stop paying for the house. 
because I can never retire if I'm still paying for everything. Mm -hmm. But his attitude was a good wife would just be happy that her husband provided her with this nice house. I go, yes, it's a nice house in a really nice neighborhood, but it's over a hundred years old, dude. And I can't keep up with all the upkeep. And it's big for me to do and still work and make all the money. Right. You know, even though to him, you know, compared to what he used to make in the military, what I make was a drop in the bucket, even though sure. I make good money. Yeah. So you said you've been in therapy for the last couple of years. I'm curious, yeah. uh, what does your therapist say about being alone and being happy with yourself? Number one, she thinks I've done phenomenally. You know, she's very proud of me. Mm -hmm. And I, I basically am happy with myself. Yes, I need to start getting out and finding people you know, my age that like to do the same kind of things that I'm starting to do with that, you know, COVID has kind of kept me isolated because yeah. I'm old. I don't want to get it. Right. And, you know, my daughter just got it, even though we're all vaccinated and, you know, it's like, how did you get it? But anyway, right. it's like, I don't want to get it. Okay. Cause I'm one of those vulnerable people, but I am happy with myself and people are just going to have to take me for I am. So it's like, you know, if I can find a walking group, you know, this weekend, if it doesn't rain, there's a witchy group that's going to go for a walk and my neighbor's like, good, sign me up. Right. And right. there's a, a, you know, swing dance lessons that you can go to without a partner and yeah. just have fun. You know, one of my granddaughters goes, to that, I need to try that. So tell me now that you have made these changes in your sixties. Tell me what you would tell your younger self. I made a list. Oh God, how well prepared. I love it. I, you know, I'm a professional student and I love to get A's. I would tell my younger self to be employable regardless. Mm -hmm. Be employable because you could split up at any moment or they could drop dead and now you have to go to work unless he's left you several million dollars. Okay. And like I said before, start saving for retirement early you know, unless you have the opportunity to be in a good job and they've got a pension plan for you, right. that was never my case. And don't put your eggs in one basket. Don't don't assume that that partner is going to be taking care of you forever. Maybe you're going to stay together forever, and I hope that for you. But mm. you know, even if you would, you should probably you know save a little nest egg for yourself so that you have a little stash, just for fun. You know, pocket change, as my grandma would call it. And again, get to the place where you're taking good care of yourself, knowing what you want and be happy with who you are because that's going to come out. And again, if your partner can't handle who you really are, then, you know, they probably shouldn't be your partner. You cannot live your life by how others see you at, or the labels people put on you. Mm -hmm. you know, I tell people, well, I'm this badass 60 something year old witch and I've never been happier. And if you don't like me too bad, I'm not out there raising ruckus. I'm not a party girl. No offense to those of you who are. It's just like, we're okay. We're okay. You got to stand in your own power, no matter what age you are. And it's okay to change if another path needs to be taken. I'm not telling people what or how they have to be, because that's not who I am. And that's not what I'm here for. You know, self-care is beautiful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Self-care, you know, I love my monthly massages and I go on a lot of walks mm -hmm. and, you know, that, that is my meditation and my exercise. You have to know that you are enough mm -hmm. at no matter what age you are, because all my exes, that was my message. You're not enough the way you are. You're not enough the way you are. I've learned to embrace new, interesting things later in life. Let me do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, you know. Yeah. And, and make that bucket list of who you want in your life. It's okay to have a list. 
you're probably not going to check them all off, but it's okay to have a bucket list of who you want yeah. or what kind of person you want in your life. But you need yeah. to be that kind of person yourself. Right. You said, sure. know who you are. And mm -hmm. I want to know what you know about who you are now that you didn't know earlier. Two things. I am enough. Well, maybe three. I am amazing. And that doesn't come from an ego place. Mm -hmm. And I love to embrace the title. I, I just said, don't use titles, but it's like, I am a wise woman crone. I'm old and crone doesn't mean you have to be old, but I am old and I have lived enough. So I have some wisdom in these bones. And, you know, if you want to hear about it, great. If you don't, it's okay too. But it's like, you know, I, I have wisdom. I can tell you what not to do yeah. <laughs> or what didn't work for me. Oh. Joanne, that's wonderful. I'm so proud of you for learning those things about yourself. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> they were hard won, but you, yes. you did. You won them. I did. So, and yeah. I don't have to do those ever again. Right. Right. Yeah. You did those. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with me today and sharing your story and just being just so generous with, with all the details of your of your path and your story. It's It's been really wonderful to to hear it about it all. Well, well, thank you for having me. Cause you know, like I told you when I reached out, it's like, I'm well past 40. I don't know if you want me, but you know, thank you for letting me share. Thanks so much for listening today. You know, one thing that Joanne reminded me of in our conversation that's been true for a lot of my guests here is that things that we learn in childhood and sometimes more specifically things we don't even realize we learned in childhood can have a lasting impact on our adult lives. For Joanne, it was that ideal of what a happy family looked like and wanting a quote-unquote dad for her daughter that drove her to husband after husband, even though these relationships weren't successful. And she also learned not to rock the boat from watching her mom deal with her alcoholic dad. And that informed some of her behaviors in her marriages that maybe were part of why they weren't so successful. I always say to my friends when we're talking about big life stuff and feeling stuck and those kinds of things that the universe will send you the same challenge over and over again until you learn that lesson. And oftentimes, the more the universe has to send the challenge for you, the bigger it's going to get, and maybe the messier it's going to get. I know that has been my experience for sure. From our discussion today, it sounded a lot like Joanne has been working on learning that lesson for most of her adult life. And for some of us, it takes a long time to figure out where the problem is and then how to fix it. So if there's somewhere in your life that you're feeling stuck or like it's Groundhog Day and you keep repeating the same cycle over and over again, it may be time to start digging into the pattern and really investigate what connection it might have to something you learned or even witnessed and internalized as a child. I have a very fresh example of my own that I can share. <laughs> Just today, the day that I'm recording this outro, there were several items in a row that left me feeling super frustrated and upset. Two of them came to my attention before I had even gotten out of bed, which was, as I'm sure you can relate, not the most awesome way to start the day. <laughs> 
So I'd done a few things over the course of the day to try to release my frustration. Um, I was doing my breathing exercises. I got on my treadmill and walked for a little while to see if I couldn't move it along. I told anyone I encountered today that there was this negative energy rolling off of me and that it had nothing to do with them. So at least I was that aware. And I even had acupuncture scheduled this morning, but nothing was working. So this afternoon, I got a chance to talk to my husband and um, about what was upsetting me. And I had what I think could reasonably be described as a full-on tantrum. I let it all fly, which was not acceptable behavior when I was a child. I learned very young that big negative feelings weren't okay and that I should keep the the waters smooth and quiet. But thank goodness for my husband who was able to hold space for me today and create a really safe place for me to just vomit all my frustrations onto the floor in the room we were standing in. There was swelling, no, there was swearing, there was yelling, crying. I even did a bit, a bunch of kitchen sinking, you know, and then, and then this, and then that. <laughs> and he just let me keep going until I was all done. And I could even see, there was a piece of my brain that could see that he wasn't internalizing any of it as anything that he had to do something about. He was just allowing me to process all of this stuff out loud in whatever volume and language I needed to do so. It's something I don't do very often and don't really know how to do very well either. So I'm exceptionally grateful for a partner who's able to hold space for that on days when I need it, like today. I really, I felt like one of those crazy inflatable arm waving balloon men you see at the car dealerships. And he just witnessed me go until I ran out of air and grievances. <laughs> so thanks, Patrick, for today. And thanks to you as well for listening. I hope you enjoyed meeting Joanne as much as I did. Next week, you're going to meet Renee Jones, who told me she often thought the first line of a book on her life would be, when I turned 40, I lost my mother and began to find myself. Oof, can't wait for that. I'll see you next week. The 40 Drinks Podcast is produced and presented by Savoy Fair Marketing Communications. 